0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshiping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, come and move among us by your Spirit, opening our hearts to the truth of your word to the joy of this day for we surrender our lives, our hearts, our minds to you, Jesus, as we pray in your holy name, amen. A few weeks ago, I saw a meme on Facebook that said, this is the lentiest Lent I've ever Lented. And that's been true for a lot of us. This is the Lentiest Lent we ever Lented. However, this is not the Easteriest Easter that we've ever Eastered. We're used to gathering in full churches and shouting, Alleluia! Christ is risen! The Lord is risen indeed! Alleluia! Instead, this morning, we processed down a center aisle lined with empty pews but many have worked and are working right now on your behalf to bring the Easter celebration into your home. We recognize that though this Easter is strange, it's still Easter. Christ has risen. We will celebrate. Now, interestingly, as you hunker down in your homes on this Easter morning, Feelings of confusion and uncertainty and anxiety that you may have actually align quite well with the feelings of the disciples on that first Easter morning. They were confused, uncertain about the future, fearful, and anxious. It would take them 50 more days to process the events that we joyfully proclaim on this Easter Sunday. I'm praying it won't be 50 more days before we're able to come back together and celebrate. But in the midst of this Easter's strangeness, we could focus on our feelings and lament the difficulty of these days. And we have, and we do. But instead, this morning, I want us to consider three startling claims that Easter makes. Claim number one, Jesus rose from the dead. Of the three Easter claims, this is the most obvious, the most familiar, the most crucial, and the most radical. Jesus rose from the dead, neither as a ghost, a soul separated from its corpse, a concept familiar to first century Judaism, and the ready assumption of the disciples over and over in Jesus's appearances. Jesus is constantly having to assure the disciples that he's not a ghost. And so, Jesus rising from the dead doesn't mean he rose as a ghost, neither does it mean that he rose as an inspirational idea of renewal. That's a popular thought these days. Instead, the Easter claim is that Jesus rose as a man with a body, albeit a body that's able to function in dimensions beyond what our earthly bodies are able to do. Easter declares a resurrection that restores and transforms Jesus' human body, preparing him to be seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavens. But declaring something to be true doesn't make it true. So how do we know that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Is it just a blind leap of faith? No. Actually, our confidence in the resurrection has solid grounding. First, there's the empty tomb, the missing body. The absolute easiest way for the Jewish leaders of the day to have squelched the preaching of the apostles would have been simply to produce the body of Jesus. To have simply said, they're all lying. Here he is. Here's the body. But no one did. Because no one could. Second, we have eyewitnesses. People saw Jesus alive. And interestingly, the fact that the story tells us that women were the first witnesses heightens the reliability. Because in that day, women were not considered trustworthy witnesses. And so if you're going to make up a story, you don't make up a story that centers on untrustworthy witnesses. And so the fact that Matthew and Luke tell the story in such a way that it's the women who are in the focus who see Jesus first gives us confidence that they're telling the truth. Third, Paul tells the Corinthians that along with the apostles, there were 500 other disciples that saw Jesus alive. Why make that claim if it was easily disprovable? And one of those eyewitnesses was Paul himself who encountered the living, risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. Finally, it's hard to come up with an explanation of why people would make up a hoax that Jesus rose if he didn't really rise, then proclaim it boldly, and then die for what they knew to be a lie. So the first claim that Easter makes, that Jesus has risen from the dead, has a strong foundation And this claim should encourage us in this depressing season that's so fixated on death. Every night, the news leads with the day's body count. How many new cases? How many people have died? But the resurrection of Jesus reminds us of two things. First, death is a universal experience. COVID-19 is not going to increase the mortality rate of the human race at all. People who don't die from COVID-19 will die of something else. Let that sink in for a minute. The purpose of flattening the curve through social distancing and hand washing and mask wearing is to ensure that our medical resources can treat those who are sick humanely instead of being completely overwhelmed. That's a noble thing. But we're simply postponing death for people, not eradicating it. Jesus, on the other hand, and this is the second and more important reminder, has conquered death. The only real hope in the face of death, the death that awaits us all, is resurrection. There will never be a medical advance that solves death. Only resurrection does that. The resurrection of Jesus declares that death's days are numbered. When Jesus rose, death became mortal. When Jesus rose, death died. So here's the second claim. Not just that Jesus rose, but that Jesus rose as part of God's unfolding plan. Jesus's death was a horrific injustice, but it was not an accident. Jesus's death and resurrection were crucial parts of God's plan. All of human history hinges on that moment. The church declares God's sovereign control of history in its preaching and praying. Peter proclaims in his Pentecost sermon, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. A couple of chapters later, in response to Peter and John's arrest, the church prays to their sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the seas and everything in them, who had allowed Herod and Pontius Pilate to do whatever his hand and his plan had predestined believing that God is sovereign over all things, even the threats of those in authority, the church prays. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And in proclaiming the gospel to Cornelius and his household, Peter reminds them that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge. Easter then claims that God is working everything together into his plan. As with the claim that Jesus rose from the dead then, the claim of God's sovereign plan brings us comfort in these days. Novel coronavirus is novel to us, but not to God. God was not surprised. He is not currently fretful or confused. He's not wringing his hands and muttering to himself, God is not quarantined. While we lack the ability to to peek behind the scene and see all that God is doing, we declare with Paul that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, God is at work. The third claim is that the Spirit brings newness of life. As one of the children reminded us, Easter reminds us of newness of life, like our baptism. Now this final Easter claim, in some ways, is the most outrageous and the most convincing. The church claims that Jesus' resurrection has unleashed power to transform our lives. As Paul says in his letter to the church in Ephesus, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Resurrection power, ascension power, is power toward us who believe, Paul says. And in today's epistle reading, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. Now listen, this is not a call to increase our striving towards human goodness. It's a call to a deep, prayerful connection with Jesus as the vine that results in his life flowing through us, his branches. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those aren't bootstraps we pull ourselves up with. Those are gifts that come by being connected to Jesus through the Spirit. Part of the Easter claim is that we are a community that has been transformed by God's power. When Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin looked and recognized they had been with Jesus. No one could argue that something had happened to Saint Paul on the road to Damascus. His life was changed. When plagues swept through Roman cities in the second century, Christians stayed in them as the Romans fled. They stayed and cared for the sick and their families and the sick of those that had been left behind. Many caregivers died because they stayed, but because of their sacrifice, many thousands lived and became followers of Jesus because of the love they experienced. These heroes of the faith didn't stay out of a sense of moral obligation. They stayed because Jesus' love lived in them. They became tangible expressions of the love of Jesus, heralds of resurrection power. This is a season, an opportunity for us to do likewise. Down through the centuries, we read stories of personal transformation through the power of Christ. Saint Augustine, Saint Francis, Martin Luther, Isaac Watts, John Wesley, Chuck Colson, thousands, millions more, and today on any given night you can find a 12-step meeting where someone will bear witness to the power of Jesus to change lives. Here's the problem. When our lives fail to show the evidence of spiritual transformation, it's easy for people to dismiss the other claims of the resurrection. When our behaviors and attitudes and motivations are little different than those who don't believe in Jesus, the culture around us can reject Jesus. Again, this isn't a plea to try harder, it's a plea for us to open our hearts to the transforming power of God that's available for us who believe. It's a plea to be filled with the Holy Spirit through whom our lives are changed. And so these claims that Jesus rose from the dead, that God has a plan, that the Spirit transforms us, those are the Easter claims we remember today. And in this, I pray that you will have a stronger confidence in Jesus' resurrection and a deeper hope for the day that you'll share fully in it. I pray you'll have a wider perspective of the Father's plan and a deeper trust in his working in your life. And I pray you'll have a heartier openness to the Spirit's presence and a deeper experience of his transforming power. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and do your mighty work in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our wills, in our imaginations, in our bodies. Would you make your presence known to us? And through us, would you manifest your love to the people around us? And in that, Lord, would you give us grace to be heralds, proclaimers that you have risen. So come Holy Spirit and do your work